Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. This is Chris Wolfald, the editor of the Toolkit. Our very, very special guest today is director Spike Lee, talking about his new movie, Black Klansman, which uh, was out this summer, but you can now see it at home. I got the DVD this weekend. It's nice. All right. The Blu-ray? <laughs> yep. Oh. Yeah. Your people take care of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of your very favorite, one of my very favorite movies of yours is uh, 25th Hour, and that one always amazed me because it was a script that was written and was greenlit before 9-11. And then in the process, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere, I think soon before production. Yeah, I, I, I made the suggestion to David Benioff that uh, who wrote the script. It was a novel. He also wrote the script that this film should take place post 9-11. I wanted to tell the story. I'll place the story in a post 9-11 New York City. And it, does, it did such an amazing job. I mean, I don't... It's still the best 9-11 movie, and that was made months afterwards. And, and Thank you. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but you and, know, <laughs> and he got games the best basketball film, too. <laughs> but, but, but my point still being is, is that um, maybe 9-11, maybe, maybe Trump, I feel like there's these, these, these things that are immediate that filmmakers are afraid to deal with, I think, oh, for a good know, reason. You know, uh, you know what was crazy at the 9-11? Like a film's been shot with images of the Twin Towers, they, they were erasing them. They were taking them out. I feel like, like Americans could not, they would not be able to, they would lose their mind. They saw, I, I thought that was insane. To completely, I think it, had, it was a Spider-Man film. Mm. Something, some other yeah, film. I think it was the Brooklyn Bridge thing where they were doing that. Like the, I think they might have even changed the final, I mean, the big they, set they, piece. They, no, no, they, they they optically, optically deleted <laughs> the World Trade Center. I, I, that was insane. But I mean, there's an element here, and I think it speaks to you as an artist. Now, obviously, with, with Black Klansman, you're dealing with the past, but I mean, and obviously, you're not the first filmmaker to deal with the past, to deal with the, the present, but it, it, but it, that was, it... That was intention. Yeah. Uh, my, but... my co-writer, Kevin Wilmer, and I, we wanted, we felt the best story we could tell would be the one where we could connect the past with this crazy fucked up world we live in today. That would be the best version of the film. How did you do it? How did you guys take it? I know that, that project, obviously, uh, Mr. Stallworth had a book and it had already been turned into a script. Uh, what, was, what were those key changes that, that you and uh, Kevin did to, to make it today? We just looked for stuff in the past that, that, that's today. We looked at stuff that's not new. The phrase, the slogan, American First was coined by the Klan in the 1920s against immigrants. So this stuff has just been regurgitated again and again and again. This, this hate. But there's an element here too where, and I feel like whereas a lot of filmmakers are a little bit lost in the era of a Trump, and not that I'm sure you would be happier to I be in it. To I, be I, in I a really bit. can't talk <laughs> about what other people do. Well, no, but, but my only thing is, my only thing is, I, I'm sure you'd be happier to live in, uh, be, be in a, a President Obama world right now. But, but, but my element, the element here is, is that you seem to have no problem driving straight into it and, and wanting to tackle it right on. Well, that's just the way I look at the world. And I know I've been uh, accused of being heavy handed and whatnot, but. The world we live in today is not the time to be subtle. It's not the time. And I think that, this is my opinion, I think that this upcoming 
Two years is, is, doesn't go like that. Two years is around the corner. Two years is tomorrow. This upcoming presidential election, what's going to happen in two years, is it's a battle for the soul of America. That's what it's going to come down to. It's going to be a battle for the soul and direction of the United States of America. I'm convinced of that. Oh, it's going to be a holy war. <laughs> you know, it's going to be love against hate. Ray Raheem, Robert Mitchum. The, the, Robert Mitchum with the tattoo, those words tattooed on his fingers, and Ray, Ray Raheem wearing those rings. It seems as if this time period has also lit, lit a fire under you to a certain degree, too. Is that... Well, you know, desperate measures for desperate times. And, and I think that the way this country is going, is my opinion, mm. ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that if you look at the way this guy, I don't say his name. Mm. I use the, the, the term, uh, the moniker, Asia Orange, which I get a shout out to my man, Buster Rhymes. He came up with that. <laughs> Bust that represented Brooklyn, New York. But anyway, if you look at his attack on the on the courts, the FBI, the CIA, most recently the CIA said, look, this guy, he killed him. And uh, he's like, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It, I mean, I've never seen something in my life so... Like, look, basically saying, look, okay, he might have killed them, but they got the oil. They're going to spend billions of dollars buying arms from us. I even got to lower the oil. So if a guy had to die, that's a small price. <laughs> I mean, it's just so blatant. Yeah. Hey. I mean, and the thing about it, though, he's not, Age Orange, he's not even trying to fake the funk. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely like, like, fuck it. We used to be a little bit better at lying about these things. We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just said, the guy had to die. Eh. It's for the America profited. And somebody had to die for that. Small price to pay. Uh, this summer I talked to your cinematographer, Chase Irvin, did a beautiful job on this film. And he, yes, he, he did. He was telling, he was telling a story, um, you know, Guys shot a lot of this uh, north of the city, hopping in. Asini. Hopping in in the. Yeah, uh, we were not shooting in Colorado Springs. Yeah, no. <laughs> we were not doing that. Saw so a couple couple mountain shots built in. The um. That's the beauty of the special, <laughs> and also second unit too. Yeah. We had a, we had a second unit crew that went there. Yeah, but uh, hopping in the car and kind of going up during uh, pre-production, taking a look at stuff, and he, he was talking about the fact that you would be in the front of the car, and every once in a while you turn around. And be like, I got, I got, I got this end. I got, and he, he said he could. He, he, I got this end. Oh no, this is gonna. And it's like in, in, in this process of going up there and being engaged in this film. It reminded me, he used to do. I miss him so much. He used to do these production books with your early films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that do the right thing was one when I was a young. I read that thing cover to cover multiple times, and there was this thing that was so wonderful about your process, where you had this kernel of an idea, and you'd show your reader how it would grow Evolve. and grow right. but the thing about it was there was not to say that your films aren't planned mm. but once you had i remember would do the right thing specifically once you had a few couple key ingredients and you could see it it started to go out in the world it started to it started to become other right. people and other other and, and remember this sir 
the first thing I would do the right thing was the title. I didn't even know what the movie was about. I knew the next, my third film be entitled, Do the Right Thing. Hmm. The story's gonna follow, but whatever this movie's gonna be, it's gonna call Do the Right Thing. But that's, a, that's an element of your process that you've kind of held on to even today, where it's, it's this thing where it's like, it's not to say that you don't know where it's going, but that, you know, I'm wondering how much of that is, is an indie film background in that sense of like, you gotta keep momentum, you gotta keep things going, you can't have everything perfectly figured out and then it's just gonna happen. Well, what, what I try to do, and that's a very good point, thank you, observation. You gotta be open. I mean, this filmmaking is not like, you know, for me, connect the dots. And it's, it's, it's uh, people help you. And you have to be open to the help that you, so you gotta surround yourself with, you gotta surround yourself with great people. Great people can come up with great ideas, great thoughts, whether it be in front of the camera or behind. And our thinking is this, whatever makes the film Whatever makes a story better, I'm open to. Mm. So when you let people know that, they're going to be generous with their ideals. Because otherwise, you'll be a direct like, look, this is the way we're doing it. Well, I don't want to hear shit. It's like, and the crew and the people from my house are like, fuck it, all right. If you don't want to hear my deal, fuck you. I'm just be quiet. I'm just do, I'm just say, my, say my lines, do my job, go home. And when you do that, you're killing the spirit. You're killing the spirit. And it also allows you, you know, obviously there's a clear con uh, connection between this story and Trump, but it allows you also that element of Charlottesville, right? That, mm -hmm. that ability to also um, react to something that is, that is clearly, I mean, it spoke to all of yeah, us. It's something moment. I just remembered the other day, now you brought up Charlottesville. I just remember the other day, Malcolm X begins with the beating of Rodney King. Yeah. I forgot about that. Barry brought that up. Barry brought that up when yeah. I talked to him about I that. I forgot about that. Yeah. I actually put that, I put that right. <laughs> Malcolm X up. Because he brought that up. He said that that thing was just expecting the idea of putting Rodney King in there with the, with the flag and the cut. Is it doesn't, whereas most people would shy away. You jump right into that. Look, this, look there's many different ways to do something. And for me, it's the subject matter that will determine what the approach is. And to look at that footage and know that those cops got off. And then you see the response by the, oh, I'm not going to use, note this, I'm not using the word riots, mm. LA uprising. Mm. Like people had enough. And this is what Malcolm's talking about. You know, again, that's another, oh, I just thought of that too. That was a way to connect the present day with the past, too, because Malcolm X, that's truly a period piece with different, different decades, different eras. Did you know that David Duke was in Charlottesville? No. You didn't? Yeah, because Barry said the same thing to me. This is that the, the archivist, I forget her name. Judy that, Ailey. That you always work with. She's like, she's like do you want the uh, David Duke footage? He's like, well, uh, Barry and I, she's... We love her. She's been, she just, not only my documentaries, but my narrative films too. She helps you with the history, right? Because like, she wants, you got to get the history right on the narrative yeah, stuff too, and, right? And she, uh, Barry Brown, my editor, nor I, 
did not know that David Duke was in Charlottesville. And we got that footage. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Because that real, because we've seen Topher give this great performance as him, and then we see the real life David Duke in the movie in Charlottesville, co-signing Agent Orange. Not only just is he there, he's talking about, he's like, he's like if you had written that, there would have been Spike. No, that's too much. That's too much. You, 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 you had it. Those, that's him and Agent Orange. That's, we did not go to my friend George Lucas and Industrial Like a Magic and do some shenanigans. That shit ain't fake. It's not like the White House did with that reporter trying to make it look like he... Oh, he, oh the Acosta with the yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that like they do. <laughs> That's upright shenanigans, subterfuge, skullduggery. It's wrong. <laughs> Dead wrong. You know, one thing about that ending that was so powerful for me was, and, and I'd seen it a second time right after you showed um, She's Got Game, not She's Got, I'm sorry, um, Summer of Sam over at BAM this summer. Mm -hmm. And there was a thing about the sound. The sound, it, you one realizes how much the soundtrack matters to you, but also the sound design. When you hit that Charlottesville and you drop all the sound and we're listening to that, it's very powerful, but it's also- We what? In the, and when you cut to the Charlottesville stuff, right. the fact that you're using the, the, a lot of the real audio. That's all. No, there is no ADR. Nothing's right. added. But also Nothing no, was added. But no sound design. But then one feels, it becomes this thing where it's like the sound itself was such a journey in that film. And then to hit that, it, one doesn't nah, think again, of, doesn't talk not, about it. There was no shenanigans. That was like, made it loud, but there was no... Nothing was augmented to that, that, that. All that is production sound from that archival footage. But people don't talk about this enough. You, you really do think of your films in terms of sound and, 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 and the kind of telling a sound story with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's another part of a director's toolbox. Sound, cinematography, production design, costume design, music, which is the, one of the, the core ingredients of, of, of all my films. So it really it comes back to this phrase, storytelling, what can I use in my toolbox? What can I use in my craft that's gonna be an ongoing process? Was I learned from Kurosawa who asked by a journalist, I think it was here promoting Ron, journalist, quest, paraphrasing it, like, you're, Mr. Kurosawa, you one of the greatest filmmakers ever, you know, world-class master, is there anything else you can learn? And Kurosawa's answer was, there's a universe for me to learn. So when I, when I read that in film school, that was like, eye-opener. Because you're long, you know, you gotta keep learning, trying to get better, you know, work on your craft. And that's why I tell my students too, right, NYU, the graduate film school. You know, after um, Ernest Dickerson made the move into directing, you've always had a really interesting choices in cinematography. You had the period where you worked with Alan Curtis, which really kind of, I think, defined so much of those late 90s mm -hmm. films. And, and let me just stop you here for one second. That was, that was huge because 
Ernest has shot all my films in NYU, then she's going to have it. School Days, Do Right Thing, More Better Blues, and then Malcolm X. And I knew Ernest came into NYU, grad film school, to be a director. But he was so far ahead of everybody else as a DP, I guess he figured, well, being a cameraman is going to be my route to directing. So it was a very, very, very... I mean, I'm glad he did it. I, mean, I, wanted, I want Ernest to do what he wanted to do, but it still was hard. And so AJ was the first person to shoot a film with me, Ernest Dickerson. And it was rough for him because... Uh, but so AJ, Ellen... Uh, Rodrigo shot 25th Hour. Manny Labatique shot a lot of films. And uh, Chase, but uh, it was uh, um, Ernest. We grew up together. We grew up together. And, and also after Malcolm X, Ernest's first film was Juice, directing Tupac. But what, you know, I, I've always been of the opinion of that. Uh, Khalil Joseph is maybe my the best filmmaker not making features today. It's a stu- uh, Khalil Joseph, and he reached for his DP with this one. I'm wondering what made you reach for Chase with this one. Well, I knew I wanted somebody young. Someone was not set in their ways, you know, like, I've been doing this for 50 years, this is how it's done. I didn't want to be in conflict with a, a DP who would not be receptive to, you know, what I want to do. And not to say that cinematographers who've done a long time, you know, don't know what they're doing, but they get they're set in their ways. And, and I just not want to be on a set, you know, discussing, you know, let's just let's just do it. And I had seen Lemonade when it came out, not even knowing that Chase shot a large part of that. So when I saw that on the reel and, and you know, his, his resume I, uh, and he was here, I said, let's meet. So it was a great collaboration. Amen. And he seems to be perfect in the mindset of also. Yeah, he's, like, let's, he's, 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 he's open. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, he's not, he's open. He's open to trying some new things. Why do we have to do it the way it's always been done? It's a way, you know, not just to show off, but. Let's try some new shit. What'd you try that was new in this one? Well, it was just, just the way we approached it. We want to shoot film. We not want to do it digitally. We just felt that would, that would not give us the effect we wanted as far as it being a period piece. And we were just open that, to, to try stuff. And I was open to him too, you know. So it wasn't like just me saying did this. He was like come up to me with good shit to do too. So uh, it was a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, the word pioneer gets used to describe you a lot and, and accurately. <laughs> but you know, I feel I like- cannot be a pioneer. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was Oscar Michelle before me, Melvin Van Peebles, Ozzy Davis. I, I, no doubt. You no know, doubt. they're there. I'm curious though. Who, who, who I'm on their I'm shoulders. Sorry. I feel like one thing that gets lost, especially for maybe younger IndieWire readers, is when one thinks about She's Gotta Have It in 1986. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about 
not only in terms of black cinema, but also just in terms of independence. I mean, there was, you know, there was Chan was missing, you know, Jarmish had his thing. but there, there was, Yeah, there, there wasn't necessarily a model not only for uh, that type of independent film filmmaking in terms of getting distribution, but there also wasn't, especially in terms of black cinema. Well, what I could say to your question is that my guy is Jim Jarmish, because he was two years ahead of me in a NYU grad film. And I, and I worked in the equipment room as a, as a TA and I checked equipment routes. So, and not just me, the people who in school when I was there, you know, Jim Jarmers is the guy because that film, Stranger Paradise, we, we weren't in school when Scorsese was there. We weren't in school when Oliver Stone was there. We knew Jim Jarmusch, and for him to make it, he provided the roadmap. Everything that he did with Stranger Paradise, I did with the, I tried to do with the She's Gotta Have It, as far as the indie route and the distribution, going to Cannes, where we won uh, Pre-J Janice, this Jarmusch is a guy. Do you mind if I play you something that Justin Simeon said when he was on this podcast? Mm. Do you mind if, do you yeah. ever, I'm I love, I just love cinema. And I, the cinema that I grew up with didn't have black people in it. And so, you know, with very few exceptions. I mean, Spike and Ernest Dickerson in particular would do the right thing, brought a lot of the French New Wave, um, brought, you know, stuff from silent movies, just brought to bear a lot of cinematic techniques that before them, no person of color would ever find themselves in. You know, you got to go to Oscar Show before you can really see anything that looks like cinema with black people in it. Well, it's, thank you, Julian, for that. Earn work. we went to film school. Those are films, I never seen Breathless before, the good, good, good dark films, Truffaut. I saw them in film school. Film school is my introduction to international cinema. I mean, they weren't playing that on television, you know. Maybe Channel 13, well, at that age, I wasn't watching no movie with subtitles. I wasn't doing it. One, one thing, Barry. Yeah, but it also, the French wave, that really isn't, what he's talking about, the, the French, new French wave, that he's really talking about she's the habit. Breath was a huge influence with the double cuts, all that stuff. That, that was not a do right thing. That wasn't, she's got to have it. Godard. One thing Barry had said about your friendship and then eventually your collaboration, one thing that brought you two together was there was an element of you were political people and that you cared about what was going on in the world, but that there was a love of cinema and a love of cinema was entertainment. And that in the New York film world at that time, there was a sense that he felt like the two weren't mutually exclusive and that one could one could love cinema and love cinema and understand cinema as entertainment, singing in the rain, but also. I mean, I mean, I mean, those are the films I grew up. Even before I wanted to become a filmmaker, I, I would watch Wizard of Oz every time it came on. And uh, so I've never had this mindset that cinema has to be serious and this and that, and it can't be entertaining, and also that you can't, also you can't combine entertainment with, with stuff with serious subject matter. So that's, I never had this thought process that something had to be just 
one thing and not in a combination of other stuff. How conscious of that were you with Black Klansmen? Because you have made films where we can feel um, a, a, a heaviness throughout. Um, but Black Klansmen is one of these things. It's, 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 I mean, obviously we're dealing with we're dealing with the KKK. I mean, nothing can be well, more here's serious. The thing, though. But it goes down smooth. Well, here, here's the answer to your question, my brother. The humor is organic. When Jordan Peele called me up, he gave me a six-word pitch. Black man infiltrates Ku Klux Klan. I'm going to use the word absurd. Absurdity. And I think that Humor can come from absurdity. So the humor in the film was not, you know, me, Kevin Wilmot, you know, writing, cracking jokes, you know, writing jokes. Then, 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 we weren't doing that. The humor derives organically from the absurdity of the six-word pitch that my brother Jordan Peele gave me. So it was very easy to make stuff humorous knowing that the pitch is insane. In fact, when Jordan Peele gave me that pitch, I said, is, is, this, the, is this some more David Chappelle stuff? I said, no, no, because I had not heard of Ron Stallworth. Didn't know who he was. Did not know his story. And there is an element there, because it's also how you're going to play it. Um, you know, Topher Grace gives an amazing performance, but just even the casting of Topher Grace is there's an element there of... Well, Topher and I share the same agent, mm -hmm. Tony Howard, and she has never, ever, ever tried to push over clients on me, ever. Keeps the ball up between... And but she said, Spike, I don't, I've never done this, but you really, I want you to, uh, I want you to sit down with Topher. I said, Topa who? She had Topa. From the 70s show? Okay. Because you've never done them before, so. I mean, she's not going to send somebody that she doesn't think could work for the first time to do that. And uh, I think he did a great job. I hope he gets nominated. I mean, he, what he did, I mean, that's not an easy role. That was not easy him doing that. And it took a personal toll on him. And, you know, he's. He had a death threat too, so it's, it's, it's crazy out here too. But he's amazing, you know, and, and thank you, Tony. <laughs> but there is, uh, there's also this thing with the, um, there's some kind of genre elements. There's some things with the cops and there's some stuff like that where it's like there's, there's kind of a harking back to there's a balance of how much are we going to get involved in kind of the detective side of things too, right? Well, Kevin and I were well aware that uh, there's a genre called the buddy cop movie and we did not want to try to stay far from that as possible. But you know, just with that situation, people are thinking that too. Mm -hmm. So we, we really were vigilant trying to not let this film become that. Yeah. There's an amazing scene, uh, which uh, eight minutes of Kwame um, Torre doing, doing essentially, uh, a, 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 well, it is a speech. It is a, yeah. a speech well, to, to- Well, what it is, is that uh, it's a compilation of his speeches. And ironically, 
Kwame Ture did speak at Cairo College. There's an element, though, of that scene, which I imagine if one read the script and they were like, well, that's not going to stay. <laughs> it's not going to stay eight pages. <laughs> yeah. but, but, there, but there's a thing, though, that's amazing about that, and it feels to me like a lot of what, um, in terms of thinking about the Star Wars character for you, which is that scene really seems to be about him. His awakening. His awakening, because there's, there's, there's a very conscious effort, and I, I assume this is based on Mr. Stallworth himself, but of not really having one's foot in this, in this black empowerment movie, movement, but also certainly not having one foot in this all-white Colorado and, police and, department. And, and also, I'd like to add, is that what Kwame is saying is, is make him reassess things. And also make him aware that he's spying on them too. And I, I think that, that, that for me that was interesting because you had this, it's, it's a contrast, it's complex, and, and he's torn. At the end of the scene, you know, when people are saying, all power to the people, he even says it and raises, raises a black, his black fist too. So that speech definitely had an effect on him, which I think he used. Had it, you know, which we that way what he got there got him through the rest of the journey. It's another thing, though. It's something that you maintain all the way through with the Patrice character and the relationship there, where she also feels like there's a line, you know, and it well, seems that, as if that's something and, that you're. And, gonna... that, and, that, and here's the thing, though, because I. I the reason why she returns to his apartment is because to say thank you, because he saved her life, which he reminds her. But even that, her character was based upon Angela Davis, Kathleen Cleaver. Even with her saving her life is that she says, I can't sleep with the enemy. So she is not changed. And the payoff for me is when, when there's a knock on the door and he grabs his gun and she goes in her pocket and pulls her gun too. <laughs> it's, not, it's not resolved. It's clear they love each other, but it's not resolved at all that yeah. she's going to be... Yeah, but she got a gun though. She pulled a pistol out. Was that your original end? <laughs> that always gets a laugh. Was that your original end? The, 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 the famous Spike Lee shot down the hall and then seeing the cross? No, seeing the, the, the clan. Yeah, the cross, the, 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 yeah. the cross burning. That was yeah. the original end. That was the original end. But not after I saw. We Charlottesville happened before we started to shoot. Uh-huh. Yeah, August, right? And then you were shooting the fall. That element also one could see that that the double dolly shot. Yeah, you don't, you've never held it that long. That seemed to be one where you wanted. So we built a long hallway. <laughs> no, I told. Uh, I told uh, Kurt, Kurt Beats, did a great job as a production designer. Also has been the production designer in two episodes of the two years of uh, She's Gonna Have It on, on Netflix. I said, build, we shot on the stage, said build this hall as long as you can. And that's about the length. <laughs> we couldn't go much further than we hit the, we hit the wall. Yeah. Is there an element though, I, I, just, I don't mean to hark on this, but there's a thing there where you know, he, 
we use this word pioneer. He is a pioneer. He's the first, he's the first African-American in this Colorado police department. And there's an element there of, I said the, you're the Jackie Robinson. <laughs> but there's, but there's this thing where I think sometimes these heroes, we, we expect them to be Jackie Robinson in that sense of, you know, he was practically Jesus going through that, that rookie year at the Dodgers. And that, and that, and, and Mr. Stallworth isn't necessarily that. I mean, he's spying on these people. There's an education, there's an evolution of him that seems to fa fascinate you. In, in well, I think that we see growth. Uh, but, I mean, he's, you know, as the saying goes, what behind the ear? As, as, and they refer to him, as the guys refer to him several times, rookie, rookie. And as, when you're in sports or cops, you know, you, you, you get hazed as being a rookie. Like, you don't know... In fact, the guy told me, you know, what are you going to do? You just, you just got here. So there is growth, I think, between uh, his first interview, where the film opens up, and to uh, the end of the movie. I had interviewed you. I actually interviewed you in Charlottesville when you went down for the festival. Yeah. Soon after, um, soon after, I think you were in the middle of shooting this, actually. Um, and you had told me that also four little girls, right? This yeah, you brought four little girls right. down there. Yeah. Um, I think you took time out from production to go down there and show four little girls two months out, and mm -hmm. one could see how much this was on your mind. Mm -hmm. um, little did anyone know, you know, what would happen August eleventh you know, with uh, those events. You had said that there was two dream projects that you still wanted to do. Uh, one was School Days, a Broadway musical, mm -hmm. and then That's gonna happen. and then one was going to be. Well, I was going to ask, and then one was, of course, this the script that you had written with Bud Schulberg, the great Bud Schulberg. Um, Say with Joe Lewis um, about about the great boxer Joe Lewis, and uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, that was a year ago. Is there momentum to to get any of these things going to get? get those projects going? Oh, it's going to happen. You know, I'm not in any, any rush. I'm confident that it's going to happen. It'll happen when it happens, you know. I asked because there's this thing, I think you had posted something about the anniversary of uh, Malcolm X, which was a film I, I'm guessing might have been the one that, in terms of a dream project, was the hardest one to, and the biggest one to, to yeah, that she's going to have it. Yeah. The first one in Malcolm X. Are the, is, are, to get back to do something, I imagine the Joe Lewis thing is, is, is on a certain scope. Is that something where having awards and, and having prestige behind these films opens up doors? Is that the way? Is that, is that? Well, you got to have, I mean, that, that can be one way, but also you have to have people who understand who you are, what you're trying to do, and believe in you. So you got to have allies. Because, you know, I can't write the check myself what, what that film is going to cost. So you have to have allies, you know, that's, that's, you know, relationships. And for one period, I did like five, six films in a row at Universal. And that was because of Tom Pollock, who's the president there. Last one, you had mentioned uh, you are now a tenured track, or tenured professor yeah, at tenured. NYU, tenured professor at NYU. You know, film school is, you know, I went to film school 15 years after you, and but still, this is, uh, Wesleyan. Um, uh -huh. But there's there's an element of um, students today. When I've when I've taught, when the, the big difference is they are 
there's a demystification of the filmmaking process, not only from having read about it, but also the, the tools and, and knowing, knowing certain elements of it being obtainable, filmmaking not being like this magic thing in this distance. And I also, think that's great. Yeah, I've also, always been about the demystification of, because you think it's some magical, mystical stuff, then you know, you're never going to think that you can do it. Once you just demystify it, what? That's how that happens? That's how I did that? Oh, I can do that. And that's a big barrier, too. And there is so much film school now. There's so many of these programs. What, what, I'm curious, with, with, with your vantage point, having gone to NYU in the, in the early 80s and, and now still teaching there, what are the biggest things um, for film school with this new generation? What is, what is the big things that you are finding that yourself, that, that you're having to... Well, the big thing is that tuition, especially NYU, tuition, and then you got to pay for your films. I have students who, when they leave NYU, have over, over a quarter million dollars in student loans. Yeah, I know kids like that too, yeah. Over a quarter million dollars student loans. It's a feature. What? It's a feature. Yeah. So, that's... It's tough, and I also like to say that for those people who can't afford NYU, AFI, USC, or didn't get into them, don't let that stop you. Today, with technology, you don't have to go to film school, be a filmmaker. My generation, we went to film school because that's the only way we could get the equipment. We didn't care about the MFA. I mean, you weren't getting a job because you have, unless you were teaching theory, Showing MFA degree for NYU, like they're like, fuck that. Where, what? Show me your film. Show me the film you directed. Show me the film that you edited. Show me the film that you DP'd. Then you fuck about a degree. Yeah. We've been very generous with your time. I'm gonna let you go, but um, this is a wonderful film. Thank like you. Most of your films and. Um, you know, it, it's it, one thing that's been really nice over the last few months is a lot of people revisiting a lot. Of, I mean, there's oh, a, there's, oh, oh, can you can I, can I just jump there? Thank you. If you want extra time, you can have it. I'm not in a rush. The blessed, the, the true, this is on this is 100. The true blessing from Black Klansmen is that people have gone back and look at my bio work I've amassed the last four decades. For whatever reason, they heard it was bullshit, it didn't get promoted. For whatever reason, people are going back and looking at my work, my by work, and having different, and they're reassessing, mm. use that word, reassessing yeah. my by work. And, and then, which one's making you happiest? Which one is the one that has gotten the people? Bamboozled. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, bamboozled. Yeah. Did that, you know that that thing was? The, you know the original post for do for for bamboozled New York Times did not want did refuse to run the ad. What? With, with the, you couldn't get an ad for bamboozled in the New York Times. In not, what, not, two, not with two thousand two thousand one. Not with those guys in blackface. <laughs> they they refused to run the ad. They advertised for the film. We had to show a different ad. They, that, they said, hell no. So really, people are going back 
because I understand, look, you can't see everything. Yeah. But, 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 but this film has sparked people to go back and look at films they missed for, what, for whatever reason it was. I don't care what the reason was. For me, it's more important they're going back and look at, at have, you, have you looked at any stuff? You know, Particularly because of uh, Black Klansman? You know, one of the things was uh, the summer you showed your 35 of uh, Sam. Yeah. Which and, I had seen, which I had seen at the time, and it's not that I, I had a, a good opinion of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the I, BAM. Yeah, at BAM. Right. And, um, but it was an element of, I have to admit, it wasn't a Spike Lee film that I thought regularly about, and mm-hmm. it was also not how I remembered it. And I love that film. Yeah, that film is a lot better. <laughs> that film is really insane. Good. But the film, you know why that film was crazy? Because the summer of 77 was crazy. That's a little bit of the Spike Lee origin story, too, I isn't mean, it? That, yeah, but that, 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 that summer in New York City, people out of their minds. The heat, the blackout, the first summer disco, Yankees won the World Series. We're getting ready to win the World Series. David Berkowitz, drugs, sex. I mean, it was uh, Plato's retreat. <laughs> it was bananas and we really we really captured the insanity of that and then the, the book is the late Jimmy Breslin who son of Sam was writing letters to I love it when he dresses the camera and tells the story and then they just start playing this <laughs> there's eight million stories in New York City and this is one of them there's an element of that summer and you've told this story before of a friend of yours, I forget her name. Vietta Johnson. She was well on her way to becoming a doctor. Well, she was in high school, but she knew from probably fifth grade she wanted to be a doctor. She went to Stuyvesant High School, uh, Prince undergrad, and Harvard Med. And now she's a doctor in, in Chicago. It wasn't a good summer. Uh, it's, not, it's never a good summer to be employed as a young girl. Everybody. There was no that, that. I mean, there's a very famous daily news front page, Ford to City. That's meaning President Ford. Yeah. Ford City dropped dead. New York City was broke. So we know some of jobs. And um, one day the spirit told me, now I look, now I can see it's the spirit. But one day I went over to her apartment and she was studying and there was a box in one corner. I said, what is that super camera? I said, what's this box in the other corner? It's the film that goes in the super camera. And she said, you want it? You can have it. And that's, and the whole, that, and that summer, I spent the whole summer, you know, shooting with that Super Ray camera. What were you actually filming? What were you, I mean, there was, the, the, was, the city, was, was, city was on the, fire. I was huh? filming the film, the blackout, the rioting, the looting, by my fellow African-Americans and Puerto Ricans. It was Christmas in July. I filmed the, the block parties where DJ was hooking up their turntables up to uh, for electricity to street poles, uh, people's response to Son of Sam, you know, that's, the film eventually, I made into documentary, went back to school in the fall, the film was called Last Hustle in Brooklyn. I've never seen that. Seen that. No one has. No one has. <laughs> <laughs> is it somewhere 40 acres? Is it somewhere in one of these closets? Is that what it is? <laughs> nah, it's the vault at Eastman Kodak, uh, Eastman Kodak and, uh, and, and, uh, Rochester, New York, where I keep all my films. There's an element there, I think that, and we can leave it there, but there's an element of you looking at your city through a camera and exploring, and I mean, obviously you've 
developed the tools since then. But there's something the way you just back then it was just run and shoot, yeah. <laughs> just super eight camera, you know, just shoot. But you knew, you knew there was something about capturing that. There was something. Oh yeah, but I, I was just doing it because I have a job. I don't want to play stratomatic baseball all summer on the stoop. I mean, I, there was nothing else for me to do. I want to at least try to be productive, and so I wasn't doing it to be a filmmaker. It was just something to do. But afterwards? Yeah, once uh, I finished that film, then I knew, but not, not then, not that summer. It's, it's, like all your films, it's worth going back. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that you say Bamboozled is the one that, because I, I remember that one kind of just kind of thudding. And I remember thinking, this is some ballsy shit Spike's saying right here about, about what's going on. Yeah, a lot of people missed that one. And also... Well, also you were challenging people in... Well, you were here's, here's the thing, though. Everything is timing. You know, sometimes, like, people ain't ready for it. You know, people love 25th Hour, but when it came out, that, that, that whole thing about being the best film about nine, all that stuff, that, that, no one was saying that when it came out. Really? Uh, see, I feel like that's one that's always people, at least people... Now, that was late. That was late. So that, that film got slept on also. But, uh, but it's great when people go back and, you know, the stuff, here's the thing, though, it doesn't disappear. And by fate, whatever, sometimes films don't reach the audience for the theatrical release. It's a shame, but at least sometimes it has an afterlife. I remember reading the story, Bonnie and Clyde was released twice. First time, nobody went. And then when Pauline Kael's what she started, you know, pumping it and like, so there's no guarantee, unless it's a Marvel comic book, you know. That. <laughs> but the thing about that is, is that it used to be 300 prints and it used to have time. You know, it's like I was looking at, I was looking at 2001 the other, not look, I was looking at, you know, in April, it bombed. He cut 20 minutes out, and by the end of the year, it was the highest gross in film. And it was like this thing where it was slowly building and evolving, and now everything is... What film? 2001. 2001. Space Odyssey? Yeah. The Kubrick film. Yeah. Oh. But, I mean, it was just one of those things where it was a bomb. It was literally a bomb, but by the end of the year, it was, it was the highest grossing film. And there was an element of a slow... There's not, they're not making 3,000 prints and trying yeah, to put they, it Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, you know, today... If you don't get it open a weekend, they got the next film in there. So that was tremendous pressure on uh, the people making the film and the marketing departments. Because they know if you don't get that, that opening and every, that Friday morning, late Sunday night, people looking at that number. You sweating it? No. No. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. This one went fast, though. What? Right? This one went fast, like in the sense of like, in the, in the sense that the cut came together, you're quickly seeing can, and then you've got an eye, I'm, I'm sure you have an eye on that, beyond the fact that it's a good time for it, you have an eye on that August date in terms of the anniversary. No, I, I saw it. I, I knew I wanted to do as close as possible one anniversary, so I went through the calendar and say, what is that Friday? It's August 10th. I said, let's go. And uh, thank, thankfully, you know, focus, the market department said, let's, let's do it. 
Because they could have test screened that thing and said no to They can't. had test screening, but I knew that would be the right date. And also, there's, there's always going to have the discussion. This, this is just, you always going to have this. What is the perfect time to release a film to get the most out of the nominations? So you yeah, have the theory that maybe August 10th is too early. Then you yeah, have the other, other, side, other side is that, well, you're beating everybody else. Yeah. So, so, so go either way. But I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think that the August 10th hurt. I think it's helped us. And now we're coming back and talking about it and seeing yeah. it again. It's getting yeah. the wave. So now I'm going on my, you know, I'm doing uh, the thing, introducing films uh, in Black Klansman and meeting the voters and kissing babies. And this is what everybody's told me. This is what you have to do to. Uh, you want it. Well, you want the nomination. Well, I think that it's not just me. I think that there's Terrence Blanche has never been nominated. Barry Brown's never been nominated. No. Ever. Barry's never been nominated? Ever. I've never gotten the nomination from the DJ or the Academy. So, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm, I don't want to be disingenuous to say that, you know, it doesn't mean shit to me, but you, anybody wants to acknowledge for your work. And, and I don't think that me getting the honorary Oscar has nothing to do with this other stuff now, so. Look <laughs> <laughs> at Agnes Bar to me. <laughs> no, don't, don't lie, like, whoa, 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 all right, well, we, we gave you honorary, so, nah, -uh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm a young man. <laughs> oh, no, well, it deserves it, to be honest. Well, well look, you can't, it. that, 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 that has nothing to do with it. Whether, 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 whether you deserve it or not has nothing to do with what actually happens. That's my point, though. Is, is I mean, that, look, did you, don't you think that Al Pacino deserved it for Godfather, Godfather 2, Serpico, Dog of the Afternoon, and Justice for All? You don't think he should get, get one? Look at those, what I just said. Godfather, Godfather 2, Dog of the Afternoon, Serpico, and Justice for All. Nada. Spike, though, we could go through our <laughs> combined list of our favorite hundred films, and you know, and, and, and exactly, there's, and there's not. But that's why I bring up the point, you know, yeah. whether you whether you deserve it or not, dang, and the new shit, yeah. you know, <laughs> how sometimes the voters vote. Uh, when I'm teaching, I'm showing do the right thing, not not driving Miss Daisy. No. <laughs> you know, You're not showing driving Miss Daisy. You're not showing driving Miss Daisy. Who is? No, that's my wife. Yeah, I, also, that, and I, and I don't want real to be this because. I don't want Bruce Bersford or, or, or Morgan to get mad at me. I'm not bitter. I'm not mad at them. It's not their fault. But it happens time and time but, again. But, but it happens. And so, and it just happened to me. It's happened, I mean, look at the film Scorsese. I mean, he didn't win for Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Mean Streets. Because there's, there's always the one that's like, well, now it's time. So it's the scent of a woman is departed. Yeah. Well, sometimes history is shown with the Academy. Sometimes you don't get the nod for your best work. So you really can't. I mean, look, that's, but here's the thing, though. And I think I can speak uh, uh, on behalf of my, 
my man, Martin Scorsese. He's not making Scorsese he's making movies. Well, he's done. He ain't the 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 goal is not to win Oscar. Yeah, yeah. He want to win, but that ain't that ain't the reason why he's making because he loves cinema. He loves it. Yeah. That's what it's about. And it's been my, I mean, when you start chasing shit, then you start. Then I mean, this is my opinion. Then you start doing stuff for the wrong reason, you know. And then 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 it gets ugly, you know. I'm gonna do this role because I'm on an Academy Award with it. If, if that's your mind, if, you, if you're an actor and your mindset from the jump on winning Academy Award, that's gonna affect your motherfucking performance. How can it not? Is this gonna be the clip? <laughs> oh, why are you thinking that? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I can see. You know, that's funny what you just said because I can just see the crew member saying to each other, "Yeah, he's going. This is the clip right here." <laughs> How could you do that to me? I loved you. With all my heart and soul, I feel betrayed. I don't feel like living anymore. Cut! <laughs> oh, can you come here for a second? <laughs> you don't want that person. You don't want that person. Male, you don't want that person. The interview I always wanted is, is the editor of the movie of the person that just won the Best Acting Award drunk, honestly telling you about cutting the performance. Oh, let's not, let's not sleep. And also, I'm staying all respect to actors. All respect, because what you do is hard as shit. But many performance... I hope when you out there and got your war, you gave love to the editor. Because <laughs> only the editor and director know what it took to get that. Quiet, and here's a phrase, quiet as it's kept. <laughs> Are you good? All right, man, thank you. Man, I enjoyed this very much.